Good morning, Oceanside Sanctuary. It's good to be here with you again on this Sunday morning. We're going to continue our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. This is, like I said last week, Jesus' core teaching. Everywhere he went, scholars generally agree that the Sermon on the Mount is likely the teaching that he repeated over and over again. So to understand this sermon that we find in Matthews chapter 5, 6, and 7, to really work through this, to wrestle with Jesus' teachings, and to understand it is really to understand the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Now, last week we began by reading the Beatitudes and te Jesus' teaching on what it means to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And one of the things I said to you last week is that Jesus came specifically to help those who were poor or sick or marginalized or oppressed, and that it was those very same people, those who had been pushed aside or forgotten, those were the people that were to become the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And so Jesus begins his sermon by basically empowering those who have been most disempowered in his community. Today we're going to get into some of the meat of his teaching after he introduces his sermon in that way, he moves into some of the most difficult topics that we face in life as humans. Today, we're going to take a look at the first one. But before we do, I want to invite you just to, as always, say a prayer with me. Let's center our hearts and minds before we approach this text together. Would you join me? God, we thank you again for this opportunity for us to come together, for us to have this time and this space to turn to this scripture, to turn to these words, this teaching of Jesus that has been handed down to us throughout the centuries. And we ask that as we read this passage, that you would also grant us the grace of being read by it, that we would come under the teaching of this passage and that our hearts would be opened and broken in a new way to become people who are more like you. We just want to declare, God, that it is our desire that we would resemble Christ in whatever way is possible. We ask that you would make that true for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, today we are going to take a look at the first portion of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus begins to tackle some of the difficult and thorny issues that face our lives as Christians. But before we do, there is this little bit before we get into that passage. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about Jesus's words on anger. That's the first issue that he really tackles. But before he does, he says something that could be a bit troubling. And I want us to take a look at that first. After he gives his uh, portion of the Sermon on the Beatitudes, he describes the kinds of people that are being called into the kingdom of God. And then after he says that those are the very people who will be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He then goes on to say this, starting in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, Whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them 
and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And this is the culmination of that particular section, and it's maybe the verse that's the most difficult to wrestle with. Verse 20, he says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that is a difficult saying right there. Before we even get into Jesus's words on anger, he says, unless our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, then we are not a part of the kingdom or the power of God in this world. What exactly does Jesus mean by that? That's troubling in particular because the Pharisees themselves, of course, were a kind of revival movement in the first century in Israel. It was their goal explicitly to try to bring about a return of God's power to Jerusalem. It was their desire to overthrow their occupiers from Rome. It was their desire that God would be vindicated, that their God would be vindicated above all other gods, and that they would return to a kind of regional power because God would not only vindicate God's self, but also God would vindicate them as God's people. And so the Pharisees' whole strategy for doing this was to produce a kind of moral purity in ancient Israel by following the strict letter of the law in everything. Jesus says that our righteousness must exceed that kind of strict, rigorous application of the law. And Jesus makes it clear that his problem is not with the law itself. Jesus says the law is good. Jesus has no problem with the, the Hebrew Bible. He has no problem with Moses. He has no problem with those laws. Instead, he has a particular problem with the Pharisees. I think the clue for understanding what Jesus is getting at here is found in Matthew chapter 23, verse 3, where Jesus, in talking about the Pharisees themselves to his disciples, he actually says something kind of amazing in chapter 23, verse 23. He says, do whatever they, that is the Pharisees, do whatever they tell you to do. Do whatever they teach you to do. But whatever you do, don't do what they actually do. For they do not practice what they teach. And that is the essence of Jesus's complaint against the Pharisees. His problem with them is not that they are Jewish. Jesus has no problem with Judaism. Jesus is Jewish. Jesus proclaims the Jewish law to be good. His problem is that the leaders in the ancient, uh, ancient Near East, Jesus's, Jesus's problem is that the political religious authorities of his day they exhibit the same problem that the political and religious authorities of our day exhibit, and that is that they are hypocrites. The problem is not that the law isn't good. The problem is not that Judaism isn't good. The problem is that those who are in power have become corrupted. They tell everybody around them to do one thing, but then they go and do another. They force the people around them to carry heavy burdens of obedience to a very strict interpretation of the law while they continually let themselves off the hook. When Jesus says that our righteousness, that is our goodness, what it means to be a truly good human being, 
that our righteousness must exceed theirs. In other words, we must actually do what is good and not try to get away from it. Which is why I think he says here in verse 19, Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least. But whoever does them, whoever does them and teaches them will be called the greatest. In other words, Jesus' concern in the Sermon on the Mount is with doing. Jesus' concern in the Sermon on the Mount is that we practice what we actually teach. That if we say something is good, then we would give ourselves to it faithfully. Faithfully. And so having said that, Jesus turns his attention to what is maybe one of the most central problems of being human. We pick that up in verse 21 when he says this, You have heard that it was said of those ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, right here out of the gate, as Jesus begins to get into the meat of his sermon, as he begins to actually get into the content of it, what we see is that Jesus tackles the biggest, baddest sin of all right at the beginning, and that is, of course, murder. Jesus jumps right into that one thing that when it is committed, we are all shocked and scandalized and grief-stricken and horrified. Whatever it is that will finally bring a human being to actually kill another human being, Jesus jumps right into the heart of that. And he establishes as his pattern in the Sermon on the Mount this rhythm of quoting a known law or a known teaching and then adding his perspective to it. Now, sometimes this is called the six antitheses that we see right here at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. We'll get more into that in a few weeks. But for now, what I want you to see is that Jesus establishes this pattern where he says, you have heard that it was said this, but I say to you that. In doing this, Jesus is expanding on what he says is essentially a good teaching. Let's go back to it and take a little closer look at what he says here. He says, you have heard that it was said of, to those in ancient times, you shall not commit murder, and whoever murders should be, will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, and this is where Jesus reveals something deeper about the human condition. In other words, you know, the law has told you that you should not murder other people, and we all agree that that is good. But I say to you that there is more to understand than just that. And Jesus goes on to reveal the hidden nature of the human heart as it begins to walk along a path of violence that may eventually lead to killing and death. And Jesus identifies that the very first step on that path toward violence is actually anger. Jesus says, but I say to you that if you're angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. Now, Jesus is not saying here, I think, 
Jesus is not saying here that to be angry is just as bad as it is to murder. Rather, Jesus is very smartly and very insightfully unfolding for us the dynamics that are going on in the human heart that would lead someone to commit an act of violence. And Jesus says that that begins with anger. That that anger inside of us that we have for other people will take root and that that rootedness and anger could turn into something more. And he goes on actually to demonstrate that it escalates from there. He doesn't stop with just anger. He says, if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. And here Jesus is revealing the additional depths that our heart sinks to as it walks along the path to violence. It begins with anger, and when that anger comes to full fruit, it turns into insults against others. When our anger has reached a point when we can no longer contain it inside of us, when we can no longer manage to keep that seething frustration under wraps, it will eventually spill out into verbal insults of others. In other words, a kind of verbal violence. And then Jesus goes on to identify that the next step beyond that, beyond just insults, is when we utterly and completely write somebody off as a fool. Now, some of your Bibles might say raka here. Those of you who say raka will be liable to hellfire. Raka was a kind of slur in Jesus's day in Aramaic that meant something equivalent to you fool or you idiot. Jesus is saying that once we have reached the point where our anger has led us to completely write off another human being as an idiot or a fool, then we have come that much closer to justifying violence against them. Jesus is telling us it's not enough that we would be people who just don't murder other human beings. Jesus is saying that there is a whole series of steps before we ever get to physical violence that ultimately lead us to that place. If we want to be a people who are loving and peaceful and just, then we have to begin to identify how our violence is birthed in these earlier stages of anger and insults and contempt. Now, I just think this is incredibly relevant to the world that we live in. I don't know that we have ever in our lives, in my life, in 50 years, have I ever seen that our society is essentially living in an age of anger. We are an incredibly angry culture right now. We have just come off of a 20-year-long war in Afghanistan, the longest war in the history of the United States, and it seems as though we actually accomplished virtually nothing. That war, of course, led to countless deaths. It led to the killing not just of enemy combatants, but of countless civilians, It led to the destruction of an entire society in Afghanistan and much of Iraq. And all of that was in no small part essentially a response of anger 
because of what happened 20 years ago on 9-11. 9-11 is a date that changed our country and our society indelibly. And it turned us into a society that was significantly more angry. We became a society that was willing to vilify uh, Arabs. It was willing to vilify Muslims. It was willing to vilify anybody who was from outside the United States, ultimately. We became a society that was obsessed with getting revenge for what we suffered on 9-11. And what happened on 9-11 itself, of course, was an act of anger. It was an act of anger born out of America's deeply problematic and oppressive involvement in the Middle East that goes back all the way to the 1950s. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but much of what we see happening in geopolitics today can be identified as essentially problems related to deep-seated flowerings of anger around the world. And of course, this doesn't just exist on a geopolitical level. We are dealing with maybe, perhaps, the angriest most polarized form of politics in the United States that we have seen since before the Civil War. We are swimming in a politics of anger when politicians on either side of the political aisle are willing to lie and cheat and steal in order to gain power. When they are willing to do whatever it takes to get into office and to stay into office, and when they don't practice what they teach, but are often revealed to be the biggest hypocrites among us. We are living in an age of anger. And Jesus reveals for us in these passages how anger becomes something that takes root and then sprouts and flowers and blossoms and eventually takes full fruit in the form of violence. This is how I think Jesus masterfully reveals to us how living a spiritual life is about more than just not committing violence. It's about learning to pay attention to those signs inside of us that we are in trouble. Learning to pay attention when we have reached the point where we're willing to call somebody an idiot. Willing to pay attention when when we find that we are insulting others, willing to pay attention when we find that our anger flares up, maybe for good reason, but willing to pay attention to ensure that that anger doesn't develop into violence. And Jesus not only reveals to us that anger is a warning sign that we must pay attention to, he also gives us an alternative practice to make sure that we don't degenerate into violence. So look with me at the last portion of our passage today. Verse 23, Jesus continues after his words on anger. Verse 23, he says this, So, when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. This to me is amazing. Jesus doesn't just tell us that we have to pay attention to our anger, otherwise it will fully blossom into something terrible. He actually 
tells us that when we become aware that there is a rift between us and another person, that if there is some opportunity for anger to grow into something else, that we ought to leave our worship in order to go be reconciled to that person. In other words, for Jesus, being reconciled to others so that there isn't an opportunity for violence Being reconciled to others is more important than our worship of God. When was the last time that you went to church and somebody told you that there was something more important than worshiping God? Well, I am here today to tell you that what's more important than your worship of God is that you make it right with other people when there is something wrong between you. Now imagine how our lives, imagine how our world would be different if we placed that high of a priority on reconciliation. Imagine how it would be different if every one of us had learned the skill of identifying our anger when it flared up, that we had the ability to direct that energy not towards contempt, not towards insults, not towards violence, but we had the ability to redirect that energy to genuinely paying attention to how we could be reconciled to those who have something against us. How would our world be different if we could do that? That is exactly what Jesus is teaching in this passage. Now, this is not a full teaching on forgiveness. So for those of you who are sitting there now and you're thinking to yourself about really toxic or dysfunctional or unhealthy relationships in your lives, and you're thinking, is Jesus saying that I have to be restored in my relationship with them? My answer to you is no, that is not what Jesus is teaching here. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will get into forgiveness, and we will unpack that with a little bit more nuance. But for this purpose today, Jesus is not saying that you have to let unhealthy or violent or destructive people back into your life. He's simply saying that before we allow our anger to flower into violence, that we must learn to deal with it and to be reconciled to others so that it doesn't get worse. That's a skill that I think that we can learn as we pay attention to these teachings and as we encourage each other to to walk along uh, in the process of our spiritual lives following Jesus together and doing our best to put these things into practice. That's my prayer for you today, that you would learn to identify those hot spots in your relationships where there are opportunities for, uh, for violence or for insults or for anger that flares up in ways that can become destructive. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to give us grace to recognize those hot spots in our lives so that we can follow his advice and be reconciled where we need to be. Would you just pray with me? God, we thank you again for today and for this opportunity for us to turn to your teachings, to be challenged and stretched by them. And we admit, God, that we are not always up to the task, that sometimes when we experience hurts and insults at the hands of others that our anger does get the best of us. We recognize, God, that it's not always wrong for us to be angry, 
But we need you to help us become the kinds of people who aren't governed by anger, but instead are able to walk in righteousness and peace and reconciliation. We pray all this today in Jesus' name. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Oceanside Sanctuary online gathering. My name is CJ and I've got a few quick announcements here for you this morning. First of all, if you are new to the Oceanside Sanctuary, welcome. If you would scan that QR code and fill out some of your contact information so we can know a little bit more about you and maybe even where you're watching from here this morning. So welcome. Call and response coming up on Thursday, September 16th at 6.30 p.m. Call and Response is the Oceanside Sanctuary's monthly scripture study group that approaches the Bible in a group conversation that is pleasant, it's exciting, it's group dialogue, and it's similar to what is found in sacred literature, liturgy, and music of all kinds. I think you're going to enjoy this. You can RSVP at the oceansidesanctuary.org backslash calendar to get the Zoom link for this month's call and response. Once again, it's coming up on Thursday night, September 16th at 6.30 p.m. and it's going to be on the Sermon on the Mount. So you're going to enjoy that. Also, we've been talking about this for several weeks. Very excited about it. No Greater Love is launching the opportunity to learn anti-racist relationships. It's going to be Tuesday night. It starts on Tuesday night at 6.30 p.m. on the Zoom and we're going to break right now to go to an interview with Jason and the Rileys. All right. Hey, guys, this is Pastor Jason over the Oceanside Sanctuary. I'm here with James and Marte Riley. And for those of you who don't know, James and Marte are leaders in our church. They actually co-lead our new anti-racism team together. Welcome. How are you guys today? Good. Doing good. Thank you. Good, good. I said welcome, but really, this is your porch. So <laughs> I don't know why I'm saying welcome to you, um, but we're here today because I wanted to just announce that the anti-racism team, which you guys lead together, has a new group out called No Greater Love. And I really want to make sure that everybody in our church and in our sort of broader community around our church knows what No Greater Love is. I know this is something you guys have been working on really hard for the last eight months with your team. So maybe just tell us briefly what is No Greater Love and why is it important? No, no Greater Love is an introductory anti-racism group that uh, we're putting together or that is put together for Oceanside Sanctuary. Like you said, it's it's been a labor of love that started back in January after we talked and I know there were others that were interested. Marte came up with the, the name No Greater Love because of that the scripture that it relates to in John. And I think it also exhibits that the whole idea of laying down your life, that anti-racism work is a aspect of laying down your life. And that's where the title came from. So this is an anti-racism group where people will come and essentially learn what, Marte? Like how, what makes this group different? I think it's different in the sense that it's not an informational download type of classroom situation. Yes, there will be information that we'll bring to each session, but what we will actually be doing is learning how to metabolize the information by sharing 
how did it affect us? Uh, what types of reactions are we having emotionally? Mm. Um, because what we're trying to do is build some self-awareness and the ability to empathize with experiences of people that are not like us, uh, people who may be living in a very different United States than mm. what we were raised in. Um, so the emphasis is more on vulnerability and honesty and, and just learning how to communicate and be aware of how we are receiving the stories of other people. Okay. That sounds really helpful because I know that I've noticed that oftentimes when we're having conversations about race or we encounter racism or microaggressions in some way, there is this visceral response and that can be really inflamed and produce more trauma and more hurt, especially for people of color. So it sounds like this will be an opportunity for people to learn what's going on when they have those encounters and how we can move past that and have healthier relationships. Does that sound right? Exactly. Okay. Um, there is usually a fear component, um, mm -hmm. you know, particularly with people from the dominant culture. Um, and I think that's understandable. That's part of the laying down is, is learning how to see the fear, lay it down and still stay engaged. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, so what does this look like? When does it start? How long does it last? How do people get signed up? It will start on September 14th, which is a Tuesday, and it, it will run for six weeks. The time will be 6.30 to 8 o'clock, and it'll be on Zoom. And so you can sign up on the OSC website. I think also it's on Facebook and Instagram and all the other social media aspects. The deadline of sign up for September 12th, and we wanted to have a, a deadline this because we don't want the group to be too big, but we also want to get a, a, an idea of those that are interested in it. Okay, so the group itself is six weeks long, starts September 14th. Uh, these are Zoom meetings, so yes. if somebody isn't you know, comfortable meeting in, in person while we still have a bit of Delta variant going around in the community, that's okay, this is a totally safe place to meet and have this experience of learning how to have better anti-racist relationships. All right, awesome. Well, thank you very, very much for working so hard for the past eight months to put this together. You and your whole team, I know that it wasn't just the two of you, yeah. um, but uh, those who sign up will have a chance to meet some of the other team members. Uh, so if you wanna sign up for this group, we're very excited about it. You can go to uh, oceansidesanctuary.org and just go to the calendar or you can go to the anti-racism page. Either of those places you can RSVP for this group. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys taking the time today. Sure thing. Thank you. Oh, thank you guys. Once again, that is going to start on September the 14th. It's going to be every Tuesday for six weeks, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. on the Zoom. Space is limited, so make sure to RSVP by September 12th. The link is on the screen for you. And then finally, we would love for you to support the Oceanside Sanctuary, which is a 501c3 nonprofit, and it survives on gifts from us to impact this community. Simply go to the oceansidesanctuary.org backslash give, or you can scan the QR code, and there's a donation always uh, uh, available for you to give online. Thank you all so much. Have a great week and thanks for being here online at the Oceanside Sanctuary.